You're listening to Tech Tank, a bi-weekly podcast from the Brookings Institution, exploring the most consequential technology issues of our time. From racial bias and algorithms to the future of work, Tech Tank takes big ideas and makes them accessible. Thanks for joining our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. I'm Darrell West, Vice President of Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution and the author of Power Politics, Trump and the Assault on American Democracy. It has been an eventful time in the history of social media. Elon Musk has purchased Twitter and promised big changes at that firm. As a free speech advocate, he said he would encourage a wide range of voices on Twitter, introduce new services, and make people pay $8 a month to use the company's blue check certification. Yet, after a few months following his takeover, the company seems to be in chaos. More than half of its employees have left or been laid off. Regulators at the Federal Trade Commission and the European Union have demanded that Musk maintain effective security and privacy policies. And Musk has allowed Donald Trump back on Twitter after an online survey showed 52% were in favor of his reinstatement. Equally important, a number of advertisers have paused their spending amidst all the turmoil at the company, thereby threatening the long-term financial stability of the company. In a number of different respects, therefore, Musk's acquisition raises interesting questions of where Twitter is now, where it is going, and alternative scenarios for the future. To discuss these important questions, we are pleased to be joined by two distinguished experts. Nicole Turner-Lee is a Senior Fellow in Governance Studies and Director of the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings. Tom Wheeler is a Visiting Fellow in Governance Studies and the author of a forthcoming Brookings book entitled TechLash. Nicole and Tom, welcome to our Brookings Tech Tank podcast. Thanks, Thanks Daryl, for having us. Yeah, thank you. Nicole, we are taping this right before Thanksgiving, so there may be things that happen before we broadcast this podcast. But based on what we have seen so far, how do you assess Musk's stewardship of this social media platform? Well, thank you, Daryl, for asking me that question. I'm hoping to talk about this without spoiling my turkey. Um, you know, listen, for the most part, I have many mixed feelings about what's going on right now with uh, this Musk uh takeover of Twitter. And to a certain extent, I feel trapped as a Twitter user. I, I don't even know where to go based on watching, you know, just what's happening externally with regards to employment uh, relations there and the massive firings to the policies that are being imposed on a, what appears to be a minute by minute basis. And to the ultimate, you know, proclamation by Elon Musk that he's sort of the chief tweet guy now, you know, and some suggestion that he may even change the name. So when I, I think about what I'm seeing, I'm concerned. You know, I'm concerned for a variety of reasons as a Twitter user, but also as one who studies tech policy. And I'm particularly disappointed 
and Tom may or may not agree with this, that we as a society have allowed it to get to this point. We've had rumblings of discontent for quite some time. And now here we are at the ultimate test. And it seems like our legislative and regulatory hands are somewhat tied on this as well. So I think going forward, I think the assessment of where we are with this platform is, again, disappointing, disturbing. And it almost seems like um, we're all prisoners if we're using this platform in ways to advance whatever our particular cause or thought is. So, Tom, what is your sense of how Musk has handled Twitter? Well, I think he's acting, he's like the dog that caught the bus. You know, everything was focused on the win to get the company rather than the consequences of what would happen when he took control. And I think he's learning that this is something that is beyond his typical skill set. You know, he's, he's an engineer. He has built things that you can stub your toe on, okay? Uh, cars, rockets, batteries, etc. And his previous businesses have been in areas where there were strict rules, whether they're the rules of engineering and physics or whether there were regulatory rules. And now he has moved into an ephemeral world of information and opinion that has a far from ephemeral effect because it's the core of democracy. And he's existing in this environment where there are no rules and having a hard time adjusting. So Nicole, what do you see as the consequences of must moves for the way this social media platform operates. We've already seen uh, certain changes in content moderation and identity certification. What are the things that concern you going forward? You know, I think what concerns me, Daryl, on this, and I had a lot of time to think about this before this podcast, is first and foremost, we still are in this space where the handling of things like online hate speech and other types of very egregious language and communication is still going to be unsettled. And I think what we're seeing with Musk is sort of this free-for-all for us to be involved in, I think, what's going to become a more polarized society. It's interesting that I don't follow Elon Musk, but I somehow get retweeted all his stuff. And just for this conversation, I opened my phone up the other day and there were all these expletives of just people who are angry. And uh, my kids picked up my phone and they're like, mom, who are you beefing with? Right. And that's because I think what we're seeing in this new iteration of Twitter are these, you know, unguarded rules and the septic of participation that is not necessarily drawing hard lines when it comes to hate speech or speech that is just very controversial or opinions that are so entrenched in some level of hate speech or some level of anger that I think that's going to continue under this platform because I don't think, as Tom said, he has experience to handle this. I think the second thing that concerns me about this is that this has sort of become open season, and I hate to say this, guys, for rich white men, right, when it comes to purchasing large-scale communications platforms. And that's worrisome because 
we all know that Twitter is not a public platform. It doesn't run off of public airwaves, but it does suggest that it's okay if you have the money that you can purchase something this large and grand with huge reach and just basically do whatever you want with it. And I think that's becoming much more problematic for me because we do not see outside of the content moderation, some type of you know suggestion of guardrails when it comes to media ownership or rules when it comes to hard lines, Tom, we've, we've put in the sand when it comes to broadcast ownership or ownership of other media properties. So that concerns me. I think the other thing that concerns me, like the last thing that concerns me about this is the fact that in many respects, this is a monopoly. Um, where do you go when you don't want to be on a platform like Twitter, but you want to be engaged in some types of uh, news uh, sh- dissemination. Um, I'm seeing a lot of scholars, for example, think tank people, people who are, you know, community activists that are just raising their hands up. There's like a big movement, you know, Blacks against Twitter, like uh, we're leaving the death of Twitter, the funeral of Twitter. I don't know if you've seen some of those tweets. I mean, we're making fun of it. There's a lot of satire going on. But in, in reality, there's no other place to go because we have not seen in the social media space, the growth of alternative properties. And when we have, when you look at uh, a particular individual that we'll probably talk about today, they have tried to invest their money in those spaces without the same level of success and investment. So I'm concerned, you know, again, who's drawing these hard lines, Daryl? And where do we go to avoid, I hate to say it, rich white men who want to take over the communication airspace? Um, who, who do we turn to if we share values or perspectives or research that may not necessarily you know, fall into this realm of abuse that I think we're going to continue to see on Twitter? Well, Nicole, you are talking with Two not rich but old white guys. Uh, so I do want to get Tom's perspective on this. Uh, what do you see as the risks of the policy changes Musk already has introduced? Well, I think that they have been capricious <laughs> rather than calculated. Uh, number one, you know. But let me go back to the, the thing that I was mentioning a moment ago about this is a person who has lived in a world of rules. And what worked for rockets and smart cars may not be a management technique that works in, I'll rephrase that, I think he is demonstrating is a management technique that does not work for social media. You know, what you can do when you're trying to build a new rocket or a new battery or a new car. It's kind of like the old Thomas Edison line. He said, I didn't fail a thousand times. I succeeded in finding a thousand things that didn't work. And you can do that when you're working on batteries. But you can't do that and be capricious in your actions and say, well, hey, let's try this and see what happens. When you're dealing with a commodity, information, truth, dissemination of opinion that is so important to democracy. And so the problem is that not only is Musk having to manage outside of the rules-based world of engineering and regulatory oversight, but he is also inside something more important than cars and rockets, and that's the information on which democracy operates. 
But Nicole raised a series of very good and very important um, questions. And I think the fascinating thing here is that when you move from a manufacturing mogul to a media mogul, there is a level of interest that follows that perhaps didn't happen before. And I think Elon Musk's credibility has been dinged and that that could turn around and have an impact on the other things that he has been doing as well. And you think about the FTC now looking hard at whether he is violating the privacy and security protections that put in place. You look at how the labor issues at, at Twitter seem to have metastasized into labor issues at Starlink, his satellite company. You look at the increased interest of the SEC. You look at the new interest in Tesla's safety record. You look at how the president of the United States said that it's worth looking at whether there is foreign influence in the company. There are just a whole heck of a lot of issues that by his management, he has opened up and that are going to be challenging for both him and the democratic process as we move forward. Yeah, Tom, I think those are all terrific points. And also we should point out, I would be completely shocked if there were not congressional hearings on some of these topics, just because they are so important. And I think the biggest mistake Musk is making is he thinks as the owner of this firm, he has complete authority to operate how he wants. And he's going to find that is not the case. Both Congress and various administrative agencies are going to be very interested in the choices he has made. So, Nicole, one of his most important recent choices was reinstating Donald Trump on Twitter now that the former president is an announced presidential candidate. In your view, was this the correct decision and how will it affect online speech, democracy and the 2024 campaign? Daryl, you already know my answer to this one. As I say in my radio voice, listen, you know, I, again, when I shared my own personal experiences with Twitter, I feel stuck. I mean, I feel that, you know, not to say that Twitter was better without Donald Trump's voice, but I do feel that, you know, what we have seen with regards to polarization will just continue. Like I was listening to a radio show this weekend and something that was very interesting that I think is worth pointing out is that although Donald Trump has been reinstated on Twitter, he's invested millions of dollars into Truth Social. And so to a certain extent, there is going to be this battle of which property should he endorse, given the fact that he had, I believe it was 83 million followers of sort on Twitter and probably a quarter of that on Truth Social. And obviously with his election coming up, he's not one that wants to sit behind anybody's wall, including his own. He wants to be able to get his word out there. But I think that's going to be very challenging and it's going to be very interesting to see where he lands. I also think to Tom's point, the decision to bring back Trump, I honestly think that to a certain extent, Musk knows exactly what he's doing. He's sort of toying with some of the precarious 
serious and vulnerable uh, uh, gaps that we have in our society. I, I almost see him sometimes as a person who's sort of toying around with our mindsets. How Trump decides to use this platform will be very interesting as well. I mean, he is a man with several lawsuits. I'm sure his counsel is trying to think of right now ways to reel him in. I know he is salivating at the uh, opportunity to get back on Twitter. But again, I think he's thinking through what will he do with his own platform as well. To me, there are so many other big issues we should be worrying about that I think I'm more concerned about not just Donald Trump coming back to Twitter, but the fact that this is making national news because these are hard issues. And we all saw just how hard the midterm elections were and just how never ending the results were coming in. Now to add this in, we have to just be very mindful that we have a private financier who, as Tom said, is running multiple companies, but also toying with the American and global publics in ways that I think can be very harmful in the end. Tom, your views on Trump's reinstatement and its possible ramifications? Well, I think Nicole is spot on in her observations. Um, uh, remember, Trump with Truth Social has a contractual obligation not to put anything on Twitter for eight hours after it's on Truth Social. But there would appear to be a good chance that there's not going to be a Truth Social for much longer. Um, December 6th is, I think, their deadline for yet again postponing their SPAC, the Special Acquisition Corporation that was supposed to raise millions and millions and millions of dollars where Donald Trump could further enrich himself. So we'll see how that plays out. I think that more that, that is more an economic issue than a political issue for Donald Trump. But there's a broader issue here. And it's actually something that I'm writing on for Brookings right now. And that is that um, Donald Trump is the quintessential example of how on Twitter, Content is conduct. It is a platform for expressing non-nuanced, typically bombastic kinds of statements. And that is the core challenge that I think Nicole was driving at when she was saying she was concerned about just what's going on with social media, that Twitter is not a social network. You know, the internet is a network that connects point to point, person to person. Social media is different from a social network in that it is a point to multipoint. It is It goes to multiple people like broadcasting. And so what we have here is a platform in which conduct on the platform is what gets attention, not the content. And that conduct is distributed broadly as a form of media and as social, as Nicole suggested, akin to broadcasting. And looking at it this way gives us pause to think about really how should we think about social media from a regulatory oversight going forward? We have strict First Amendment-based beliefs on the ability to speak. 
but what are the responsibilities of those who are facilitating that speaking? And I think that's, I think that all the attention that, that Elon Musk is bringing is only going to heighten that. And as you know, we've got a couple of Supreme Court cases coming up that are discussed, discuss it as well. So I think Musk has just succeeded in raising the decibel level on an issue that is only going to get louder. So let's talk about several possible scenarios for Twitter. One would be just outright bankruptcy. Second could be a company with a much smaller staff that does little content moderation and allows extremist speech to take place. A third could be a company that suffers serious technical problems and basically crashes. Or fourth could be a company with a much smaller staff that adds innovative new products and services, survives the bumpy start, and continues to play a prominent role in our society. Nicole, what is your sense of the most likely scenario or scenarios, and how would they affect the future operations? So I want to say all of the above, except bankruptcy, possibly. I think there are enough people who would probably try to find a way to buy him out uh, than to have the company go into full bankruptcy. You know, listen, I think what we've been talking about is really a perfect storm waiting to happen. I do think that Congress will have some hearings, and I think they're going to start probably by the labor challenges. I think we're seeing massive layoffs in the tech industry in particular, but we're also seeing played out on Twitter uh, and other social media properties, some really harsh uh, labor conditions and employment conditions for the employees there. I think that's going to be piquing the interest of Democrats. It may not go very far with a GOP-controlled House, but I do think that they may start there. And if it was me, I would start there. Uh, to at least put that before the general public to ensure that their business practices um, are in line with, I think, what we consider to be a a code of conduct here in the United States. I think content moderation, to Tom's point, there's just too many what ifs. Um, I think to a certain extent, we waited too long for Congress to do anything. So now the Supreme Court may rule um, on the content moderation um, uh, pieces prior to Twitter even getting to the table, you know, on this um, or making it worse. Um, I do think Rather than saying, Daryl, that they'll go into bankruptcy, I think, as Thomas suggested as an engineer, he's toying around with monetization. You know, is it $8 for the blue check? I think I just recently saw something on Twitter where he mentioned, we're going to do this better. You know, stay tuned. If you pay the $8, we're coming back with something else. So I think they're really considering what the monetization structure looks like, if ads are enough, if there's other things that they need to do. Um, I don't think that we're going to see a full-fledged bankruptcy, but I think we'll see some lows on the uh, stock market with Twitter, or we'll see lows with regards to just um, any type of future investment because of the uh, volatility that's happening at the company right now. I think from a technical concern, you know, I think we have passed some of the moments of really high surges on social media platforms for just a moment. I think as we lead into the election um, and potentially next year, based on how some of the policy issues uh, pan out, I don't think we're going to see any potential crashes. As Tom said, he's bringing over his engineers from, um, you know, the space company. And so I think that, you know, there's only so much that an engineer can do, but one thing we know they can do is keep a platform running or keep technology running to a certain extent. I'm not sure how small the company will be. I mean, the company was already relatively small in terms of size. I just think going forward, the greater scrutiny is going to come from Congress they and, and the FTC. They're going to have to figure out 
how can they come in there? Because where this actually plays out is still undetermined. And what parameters can be regulated or legislated to me um, outside of the normal content moderation, antitrust is still going to be interesting. And so, you know, Daryl, I really think just like Trump got on last night, I'm not sure what's going to happen, <laughs> you know, but I do know the next three months is going to be a very public display of what's happening at this company, particularly since Musk is being very open himself and very much engaged. But, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to see, you know, we all saw yesterday that Disney, um, Iger just returned back to Disney. That's a company that's been around for a long time. It was a swift transition. I'm sure he's going to come in and turn around their profits. But I'm not sure what's happening with Twitter. And so it's been something I know that I'm going to keep my eyes glued to as this, you know, transpires. So, Tom, your views on uh, the various scenarios and the impact on operations. On the list that you you had, uh, you know, I'll put a check mark by all of them. Yes, all of the above, but it, it has potentials. But I think there are two things that we haven't talked about. I disagree with Nicole on the technology being able to, to run itself. Musk has, has been the neutron bomb of Twitter, right? Where he left things standing, but he wiped out all of the people. And the question is, who watches for and fixes the flashing warning lights. And I think we downplay in our focus on the effect of technology. I think we downplay the importance of the technology itself, its maintenance. And the thing that really worries me is that I'm certain that, that throughout the world, there are nation states and cyber criminals who are rubbing their hands together in glee and saying, wow, this kind of a crippled, unsupervised, shorthanded environment is a target-rich environment for cyber attacks. And that they are, as we speak, probing the code and there's no one there to identify or there are few people there who are stretched thin to identify and fix those kinds of threats so uh, yes to all of the kinds of things that you listed daryl but also um i think that there are some things to come that will be the consequences of the technical creation that that Elon Musk has left us. That is a very good point about the possible cybersecurity risk. And I think you're absolutely right that uh, when you've uh, laid off a bunch of engineers and you've just imported a few engineers from other uh, companies who may not know the background and the context of the code, uh, that could be a recipe for huge uh, problems. The last question I'd like to raise with uh, each of you is the perspective of other countries. I mean, a lot of what we've talked about has been U.S. specific, but we know Twitter is a global platform. And so all these issues are not just American issues, uh, but uh, issues that have ramifications for the European Union. India, Brazil, the Philippines, and many other places around the world. And sometimes there have been things that have happened uh, via Twitter that have had tragic and even deadly consequences in some of these other uh, countries. So I'd like to ask uh, each of you just how 
other countries uh, are reacting to these Twitter developments and what are their stakes in Twitter's future? Nicole, we can start with you on that. Well, we already know in countries like India, I think I read something that Elon Musk admitted to this, that we're seeing a slower Twitter. So to your point, Daryl, thank you for bringing that up, right? We we think of Twitter as, because it's an American company, as being just American-based and used, and it's not, right? So I think across the world, we're seeing some of the challenges in connectivity, some of the technical engineering challenges affect countries where the infrastructure is not as solid as it would be here in the U.S., I would also suggest that I think there are other countries that may not have come out yet pretty publicly, but they are doing what Tom is talking about, right? They're doing their due diligence on enforcement. What can they enforce once uh, you know Elon Musk comes over to their country and starts breaking some of their uh, data privacy rules or other rules that they may have in place? You know, I think at the end of the day, this is going to affect all of us across the world because Twitter is a huge platform with you know. Million, billions or millions of users who are essentially looking to this platform for the free flowing discourse of you know whatever topic is of interest. There are going to be consequences for other countries who already face consequences with social media when it comes to their electoral processes. How that gets legislated is still unknown. You know, I think about it, and Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, and Daryl as well. You know, Twitter has never been Facebook per se, or now Meta. They've always been sort of an outlier who's had their share of problems, but Jack Dorsey really managed to stay out of the uh, headline. And then when he sold it, his people, I think, managed to stay out of the headlines. This is going to be interesting going forward, right? Because I think Musk comes with a bit of courageousness, boldness, um, a little self-aggrandizement that I think will um, disturb some of our European regulators in particular that may have some concern and will find ways to regulate him. So I think that's something we have to keep a pulse on going forward, uh, that this is not going to stop in the U.S., but I think it's going to have a trickle effect going across the globe. Tom, your view about the reactions of other countries and how they might respond to some of these developments? Yeah, let me just pick up on what Nicole said. It's not going to stop in the U.S. I don't think it's going to start in the U.S. Okay, I mean, we have failed. Wow. We have failed as a nation to deal with the challenges presented by the platform, the digital platform economy. The European Union has not. They've stepped up. You may have differences of opinion as to the job that they're doing and the approach that they're taking, but the fact of the matter is that they are doing something. You know, Elon Musk and Twitter now has to exist under the GDPR, the General Data Protection Rule of the EU, which is the privacy rule. And the privacy regulators are already looking at what's the impact of what Musk has been doing on that rule. The EU has just enacted the Digital Services Act, which is all about online content. And interestingly enough, is all about online content in an environment that does not have First Amendment strength protections. The UK has just done the same thing with the Online Safety Act. And then there's the Digital Markets Act, which talks about market control and and to back to Nicole's earlier point about will there ever be competition? And so I think that the reality that we're going to be looking at is that, yes, there will be lots of talk in the United States. I am sure that the FTC and others will conduct their investigations. 
but it has for the last five or six years been the Europeans that have led the world in establishing the guardrails for the digital economy. And I don't see that changing. And so to mix metaphors here, Elon Musk is going to have to figure out how to drive his Twitter Tesla inside those guardrails. Right. And Dara, if I can um, jump in there too, I think it's also been interesting that amidst all the uh, conversations on layoffs, it's quite unclear. And Tom, you might know more than myself, but like, who are the political people that are still there, right? Like who is actually helping this um, entrepreneur, billionaire navigate through the policy realms? And we have seen in the past, um, you know, again, not to bring up that other company, where the creative genius and the boldness and, you know, the self-aggrandizement of certain leaders has not really passed the mustard test when it comes to policy. And so I'm really curious, um, in light of some of the employment shakeups, you know, how does that part of Twitter still look? Um, Are they thinking about these things? Again, when I go on Twitter, I see Musk making some outright claims about, you know, connectivity, uh, privacy, uh, things that he would do with Twitter if he could kind of thing, you know? And I think at the end of the day, that is where he's going to have the most trouble if he does not construct a base that understands how to navigate the uh, international landscape when it comes to governance issues. Yeah, that's a great closing comment because people are worried about the laid off engineers. Right. May also need to be worried about the laid off policy people and people who have helped him navigate all these issues in the past. But I want to thank Nicole and Tom for sharing their thoughts with us today at Brookings. We write regularly about social media and you can find more information on our Brookings Tech Tank blog located at brookings.edu. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks, Daryl. Tom, always good. We agreed upon a lot of stuff today, Tom. That's a breakthrough. Something's something's (laughs) wrong. Something's wrong, Nicole. We're going to have to deal with this. Let's get on Twitter. All right. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Tech Tank, a series of roundtable discussions and interviews with technology experts and policymakers. For more conversations like this, subscribe to the podcast and sign up to receive the Tech Tank newsletter for more research and analysis from the Center for Technology Innovation at Brookings.